0: Um, I don't know how the the conversation started, but one time, we were talking about birthdays, and uh, this woman in the congregation that we were attending asked me uh, when I was born, when was my birthday, and uh, I said, February 14th, and she goes, oh, that's love day. People, when they talk about love, have a lot of different definitions and thoughts and things. And so, what I want to talk about today is uh, what I have called the true version of the meaning of, of the verb to love. When someone says, I love you, do you love me? I'm still in love with you. People come from all different vantage points when they talk about love. There are many sides to love. Love can bring joy. When you're getting married on your wedding day, a lot of joy involved in that. It can bring sadness, the death of a loved one. It can bring pleasure, it can bring pain. Sometimes people tend to confuse love with another four letter word, lust. Sometimes people get that kind of mixed up in their thinking. Love is written about, it's talked about, it's sung about. And people dream about it. No. It's inspired works of art. It's inspired musical pieces, theater, and poetry. It's used to justify life. And it's used to justify taking of life. The verb to love. What I want to do today is talk about how human beings define love and how God wants us to love. Like I said, love, people get really confused and emotional when they're talking about it. It can mean positive things and, and negative things to people when they, when they think about it. Um, a palindrome. A palindrome is when you take a word and spell it backwards. Spell something else. I think an example would be, <clears throat> for instance, Oprah Winfrey. Her production company is a palindrome of her first name, Harpo Productions. Well, in a poetic sense, the palindrome of love is evil. So, love can be confusing, it can be great can mean many things to many different people. The Greeks, Aristotle and Plato, helped define the Greek language. And they came up with four definitions of love. And there's some derivatives of those definitions as well. And I want to look at those Greek meanings this morning and how they apply to us as Christian people. The first word I want to look at is Eros. It was defined by Plato. It has a lot of different meanings to it. Erotis we know it means intimate love. Uh, It's equated with sexual passion Physical love, sensual love. It's the kind of love between a husband and a wife. A closeness. <clears throat> the word doesn't appear in the Bible per se. But it's portrayed in the Bible. The Song of Solomon. you' read that. And Paul himself writes about this particular feeling. In 1 Corinthians... Chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. I'm going to read it using this particular passage, the NIV translation. It says, Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, It is good to them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion." That passion is the Eros described. Second kind of love defined is called Storje. Now, this is more of a family type of love, a natural affection that a parent would have for a child, a child would have for a parent, a brother would have for a sister and vice versa it also takes on a quality of being patient and tolerant with people a derivative of the word is pragma in the Greek and that equates to a mature long-standing love for instance when a married couple have been together for a long long time and they love each other It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with a physical passion, per se. Storge doesn't appear in scriptures either. But there are biblical examples of the word. Think about Noah and his family, his wife, his sons, and their wives, and how they looked out for each other during the flood. Think about Jacob. Israel and the love he had for his sons. Ruth and Naomi, the love they had for each other and the respect they had for each other. Then Martha and Mary and the love that they had for their brother Lazarus. That's Dorje. Uh, In Exodus chapter 20 verse 12 Again, I'm reading from the NIV. The Bible amplifies it. I'm sure you're familiar with this. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God has giving you. It's a matter of honoring your father and mother, loving your family, a natural love, a the third love I want to talk about is Felia. Now, if you're familiar with the city of Philadelphia, its nickname is called the City of Brotherly Love, and that comes from this word, Felia. It's something that Aristotle developed. And it means affectionate regard, a close and deep friendship. Brotherly love, a loyalty. And it's usually between people who are equal to each other. And this word appears throughout the New Testament. One example is in Romans 12, verse 10. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Romans 12, verse 10. Love one another in brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. This is phalia. Phalia one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Now, we're talking about four definitions, but there are some sub-definitions, some derivatives of those words. Um, one is a word called, in the Greek, called lotus. And that's a, a playful affection. And that's kind of like the affection or the love that, if you've seen two little kids, like, I'm sure you two little babies, toddlers, getting along together, or kids on the playground laughing giggling and getting along with each other. That's, that's lotus. And then there's phalatia, which is self-love. Now, with this word, there's a positive and a, a negative to it. Uh, self love can be positive if you have a healthy self respect for yourself. And I think we all want that for ourselves a healthy self respect. But it can have a negative aspect if it becomes narcissistic, become, you know, delve into narcissism. And then there's another. Or you've heard of called Platonic love, developed by Plato uh, out of his philosophies, and it's a love free from physical desire. So I just wanted to talk about them a little bit. Those are the kind of loves that that man has for for man. How we see each other, how we define love, from romance to friendship the love of our families. But there's a fourth, and it's called agape. This is a selfless, sacrificial love, and I'm sure you've all heard of it before. It's a love that's unconditional. It's the love that God has for man. Thomas Aquinas uh, described it as to will the good, of another. I think that puts it puts it nicely. In First Corinthians chapter 13 is described as charity. And Paul says that it's the greatest of all virtues, a charitable love. It's the highest of the four types of love. And the words and its variations are found throughout the New Testament. As Josh was talking about in his, his talk uh, before we participated in the Lord's Supper, Jesus lived out agape love by sacrificing himself for the world. And in the verse verse that, that uh, James read prior starting off our services in John 14:21, it reads: Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves agape me. The one who loves agape me will be loved by my Father. And I will love them and show myself to them. It's the kind of love that God had, Jesus had for his Father. It's the kind of love God has for us. And really the kind of love that God wants us to have for each other. In John 21, there's an interesting usage of the word love. John 21 verses 15 through 17. Jesus, after he was risen from the dead and meeting with the Apostles before his ascension. And he's talking to Peter. And it reads, So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love agape, me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love Philea, You and he said to him tend my lambs and he said to him again a second time simon son of john do you love agape me and he said you know i love philea you he said to him shepherd my sheep and he said to him a third time simon son of john do you love philea me Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Now what was going on with Peter, and we've, in our our study of Mark, we're wondering, or we're discussing why over and over, the apostles don't really understand Jesus' full mission here on earth. They didn't. He told them several times, point blank, what was going to happen, and they still really didn't, didn't get it. And even here, Peter hasn't really grasped, really, what Jesus was truly about. And I'm thinking this is because You know, on on the day of Pentecost, Jesus told them, I'm going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. And when he does send the helper, they understand things. Things become clear to them. But this this hasn't happened yet. And Peter hasn't grasped the true nature of agape love. So Jesus is asking him, do you love me, agape? And Peter's saying, oh, you know I love you as a brother. Peter hasn't really fully grasped it. He loved Jesus with passion. Peter loved Jesus with enthusiasm and emotion. But he really didn't love him or understand the full significance of agape love. Which means he was actually lacking true obedience. Jesus wanted love and affection channeled through the tending and shepherding and caring of the sheep that you were talking about earlier, too, during the Lord's Supper. And that's what agape love is. Now, finishing up, agape love has four traits. I call them four traits of, of, of godly love. The first trait would be grace. And the first song he sang this morning was really appropriate. I was thinking about this while while we were singing. What's grace? God deals with us based on our character, not our merit. On his excuse me, on his character, not our merit. He deals with us based on his character, not our merit. He gives us what we need rather than what we deserve. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, this is described. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. For it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He's saying that grace is not earned. It's not something that we deserve. We don't do good works to become become God's children. We do good works as a result of being God's children. And that means treating others graciously. Because as we go through our day-to-day lives, many people out there will not even really experience the grace of God for the graciousness of God, unless it comes through us. So it's important that we understand that God is gracious towards us, and in turn, we're to be gracious towards others. That's part of agape love, or selfless love. Another trait is benevolence. Benevolence is God's unselfish concern for us. He's actively pursuing our benefit rather than waiting for uh, to respond in something in us. Meaning he's not waiting for us to do something great and then reward us on that basis. And I'm going to read a paraphrase uh, from Deuteronomy 7 verses 7 and 8, kind of put it in my words. I think he's saying here, God wasn't attracted to us and didn't choose us because we were big or great or important. He did it out of love. He's being benevolent. His love for us is based on what we are and what benefits us not what he can get from us. And that's how we should deal with other folks. We should love them for what they are. And what's good for them, what's going to benefit them, not out of what we're gonna what can we get from them? What can they do for us? We should actively seek their benefit. The same song we sang to begin our worship service talked about grace. It also talked about the third trait, mercy. Now, if grace responds to our guilt, then mercy responds to our misery. God's gentle and kind to us. And he takes pity on our hopelessness. And sometimes we don't understand that we're hopeless sometimes we're kind of arrogant in that way and it reminds me of a lyric by the former beatle the late john lennon when he says that we think we're so clever and classless and free kind of arrogant as people in psalms verse 103 excuse me psalm 103 Verse 13. I'm reading from the New English translation. It says, As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion on his faithful followers. God has mercy on us and compassion. And as we receive mercy from God, we should have mercy on others. We should be merciful to our family, our friends, and strangers. And and sometimes that's hard. That's a hard thing to do because we let obstacles get in our way. We let stupid things, I would say, get in our way. We can't really see the big picture. But really, we're a conduit For God's mercy. And as with grace, there will be people out there who will never experience the mercy of God, anything close to that, unless it comes through us as we cross paths with them and engage with them. The final trait, if you would have it, is called persistence. God continues to restrain his judgment on us. He desires that we all turn to him. He wants us all to be, be saved. I mean, he can really give us what we deserve and detonate the whole thing. But life goes on. And each generation has a chance to redeem itself, to grow in understanding, and to pass those things along to other people. Really, that's what we're here for. In Psalm 86, verse 15, again, I'm reading from the NET, New English Translation. It says, But you, O Lord, are a compassionate and merciful God. You are patient and demonstrate great loyal love and faithfulness. Now, you remember Peter when he was suggesting to Jesus that it would be really a good thing, I'm really extending myself if I forgive someone seven times. And Jesus said, no, seven times seven times. Meaning, just forgive regardless. You know, be ready to forgive, be willing to forgive, and be quick to forgive. that's hard, too, sometimes. Sometimes our will is counter to that sort of thing and our pride. So, grace, benevolence, mercy, persistence. I mean, are four traits of agape love. Agape love is the pure love that God wants us to extend to each other. And unlike the narcissistic type of love that we talked about earlier, agape love doesn't center around us. It doesn't put us at the center of things. It's God's model for love. It's loving God. And it's loving others the way God would want us to.